On the Slay Queens podcast, we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. This isn't just a cheesy catchphrase. It is a note to remember that the topics we discuss can be very graphic and lurid in nature. Listener discretion has been advised. Welcome back, everybody. Hello, hello. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty doing good. pretty well. Aside from our fall allergies. Aside from fall allergies, which, I mean... I think it's like kind of a Midwest thing. It's very Midwest. I didn't realize until Sierra was like, I hate it here. Like, I'm not used to this. I traditionally, whenever the, the subject comes up, and I probably said this on the podcast before, I'm quite certain I've at least said it to you before, mm-hmm. you know, welcome to living in the Ohio River Valley. Yeah. No, yeah. we've definitely said that, at yeah. least to me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's bad here. I remember kind of the first year, the first few months that I lived here and was really experiencing a lot of the, uh, these troubles. That's what yeah. the doctor said to me. She was like, welcome to living in the Ohio River That's Valley. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I guess but, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, I never even had the allergies, though, until I was older. So, yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome Hi, back. everyone. <laughs> now that you have that bit of insight yeah, into, into our lives, <laughs> into our lives, you're welcome, <laughs> yeah, is you're what I'm saying. You're welcome, welcome for that. And speaking of welcome, welcome back to all the queens, kings, and folks to this episode of um, The Slay Queens Podcast. Queens podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, I got you. You got me and this is a podcast where we do something very special all this we're very special but we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes, ma'am. That is the special thing. We're we so cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully people like it. Hopefully like folks it. enjoy it as much as we do. I mean, we're this cheesy all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a total like cheese ball. Cheese ball, dad jokes sort of like yes, guy. 100%. So, yeah, if you people haven't realized, you folks haven't realized yes. that about me just yet, then What are you new here? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, okay, so welcome back. As we said, we do have uh, some special stories. We do. This is going to be fun. I, and I did like a little bit of a teaser for anyone who does follow me on like my personal social media. Yeah. I don't think anybody realized, but it was. Gotcha. I gotcha. But before we talk a little bit more about that, uh, let's talk about the rainbow star, shall we? Yes, our star. Yeah, rainbow because we're queer. Uh, star because we're giving, again, shout outs, thank yous, making announcements or acknowledgements and giving recommendations. And I think today we're probably going to be heavy on the recommendation yeah. side of things. It's that time of year where we're doing a lot of watching and reading. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. We would, of course, like to shout out all of our Twitter family. We just get the best like love and praises uh, from everybody who follows us and the people that we follow in return. And we just want to thank all the accounts and all the other podcasts and all the listeners and all the fans so, so much. We also want to thank our Instagram family. Yes. As well. Ditto for everything that I just said uh, about our Twitter family. Yeah, (laughs) ditto. Absolutely. Do we have any announcements? Anything that we want people to be aware of? The Patreon. How about, yeah. I literally almost forgot. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to say that. We can bring it up, right? Yeah. 
Absolutely. If you're listening to this, this episode should, if we've looked at kind of the timeline, right, should be coming out the week of Halloween. Yes. And if you're listening to this by then, there should be a new tier on Patreon. It's just Slate Queen's Pod. If you go to the Patreon website, where I believe it's called Fan Folks. $3. Yeah, $3 fan folks uh, membership. And what that will allow you is first and foremost, the opportunity to support the Queens and support the show and show us love. And what can we say but thank you? (laughs) (laughs) Thank Thank you you. so much. We would also give you shout outs and praises uh, specifically on an episode of the show, but kind of best benefit that we're offering currently is mm-hmm. you will get access to episodes a week early. Ahead of time, yeah. Yeah, ahead of time. So you'll have access to episodes a week before they come out on the regular streaming platforms. Right? Yes. That's the Fan Folks membership or the Fan Folks tier, and it's $3 a month. So please go over and check that out. We would sincerely appreciate it. Yes, we would. Thank you. All right. <laughs> and what recommendations do you have for us, Ashley? So, okay, well, you and I have both been talking, and I feel like a lot of people recently have just been kind of feeling like you don't really have much control over things, and I feel like anxiety is higher for people that may already have anxiety and people who didn't maybe do now kind yeah. of thing. And this is actually a book that I've tried to read over the years. I think this will be my third time, like, diving in again. I didn't mean to do that on purpose, but here we go. (laughs) Um, Serendipitous. It's called The Power of Now. It's a guide to spiritual enlightenment by Eckhart Tolle. And so I've read quite a bit of it before, but, like, I will say, like, the chapters are kind of, you know, they go, let's see, based on, like, you know, you're not your mind, the consciousness, the way out of pain, moving deeply into the now, mind strategies for avoiding the now, basically like what's happening, just controlling what's happening in the now, like saying, okay, I might be worrying about this, but I know that this is real. So kind of like the back, I'll just read the synopsis to make the journey into the power of now. We will need to leave our analytical mind and it's false created self, the ego behind from the very page of this extraordinary book. We move rapidly into a significantly higher altitude where we breathe a lighter air. We become connected to the indestructible essence of our being, quote, the eternal, ever-present one life beyond the myriad forms of life that are subject to birth and death. Although the journey is challenging, Eckhart Tolle uses simple language and an easy question-and-answer format to guide us. A word-of-mouth phenomenon since its first publication, The Power of Now is one of those rare books with the power to create an experience in readers, one that can radically change their lives for the better. It's okay. So when I read it too, like sometimes I have to read and just like put a pen in it and just like sit with it for a minute. And that's why it's, I've never gotten through the whole thing because I feel like I've just forgotten or I've gotten on with life and not tried to be present so much. So you take that moment because you are... It's a lot to take in. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's a lot to like absorb at least if you're trying to do it right. I mean, I feel like I have to almost meditate on some things once you read it, but it definitely, it's, uh, it's a wonderful book. Okay. So far, so good. All right. <laughs> I recommend. I love that. And <laughs> like you said, you kind of prefaced with the fact that I think, especially people in the United States right now, with it being election season and mm-hmm. on top of dealing with a global pandemic and just a lot of the things that are happening socially, politically, economically, I think our anxieties and our stresses are heightened. So mm-hmm. anything that we can do to make that better I think is great. So thank you for recommending that. 
Um, what about you? What about you? I feel like I have something far less impactful. <laughs> I, this is the first time it's been anything other than like, I listened to Halsey this week. She's awesome. I love her, you know, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like I have anything as significant to offer, but I was going to make a movie. How about a distraction? A distraction. Yeah. Just, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for turning to that. So once you're done being in the now, then go ahead and yeah. distract yourself for a little while because balance, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Life is about, or should be about obtaining some sort of like harmonious balance, right? Absolutely. All right. So full disclosure again, and there'll probably be many more because I love to use the term full disclosure, but full disclosure, I had actually gotten rid of my shutter subscription or my shutter membership because I felt like I wasn't using it as often sure. as, as maybe I should be. And so they made an announcement that there's essentially going to be an all-star season of the show Dragula. Are you familiar with that? Uh, oh my God, Landon Sider. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he just winks at me like, yeah. duh, yeah, she's yeah. familiar. <laughs> yeah. They're essentially going to do an all-star season, their first all-star season. What? And that new season is going to, for what I understand, be available on Shutter. So does that mean Landon will No, Landon, uh, Landon has won. Oh, that's so, fair, that's yeah. fair, that's fair. Yeah, I forget it has people, people that didn't win exactly yeah. there'll be competitors from the previous first three seasons okay. who didn't win who are coming back i'm here for it though and i'm like there's yeah. like three in my head that i'm like praying for <laughs> they, they've, announced, they've announced the cast already have so they okay you okay. can absolutely look it up i'm so glad to know that though i I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I wanted to make sure that I was going to have access to this new season. Sure. When it started airing, they had announced that it was going to be available on Shutter. So mm-hmm. I went in and immediately was like, all right, I'm going to sign back up for this. And since I had access to Shutter again, I was just kind of perusing it with an hour or two that I had of, of just random downtime at work. And I watched this movie called The Cleansing Hour. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of a possession, like, type genre slash plot line. And it was just so, so, so good. So well done. And, of course, it's one of those situations where I don't want to give too many details. I was going to say, can I ask who gets possessed or will you give something away? Um. So, essentially, I think this is not giving too much away. Okay. Essentially, what you're dealing with is these two friends who grew up together, they are doing uh, kind of live streaming exorcisms, right? But the thing is, is that it's they aren't real exorcisms. They're scripted. Okay, so yeah. it's like a form of entertainment. Exactly. It's so, kind of like the Chris Angels of the world. <laughs> for sure, yeah. So it's scripted up until like this one particular night when suddenly it's not scripted. That's what anymore. happens when you fuck with yeah. the devil, man. Yeah. Like that's what's going to happen. And it was just really, really, really good. I really enjoyed it and I highly recommend it to okay. anybody who's into uh, horror films and like we that might sort have of to genre. Watch that tonight. Yeah, for sure. I really, really, really liked okay. it. Hopefully you will enjoy it as much as I Oh, I love a good exorcism. Like anytime there's one that comes out, I have to see it, even if I think it's going to be terrible. Yeah. But that's all I have. Not as profound as, no. uh, as what you had. <laughs> but like you said, uh, it's about balance. Well, I just love a good self-help book. Yeah. So we do have some special things uh, that we're going to do in this episode. Something, some things yeah. that are a little out of character for us. But before we get too much further into that, should we take a quick break? A quick break. Quick break. Yeah. Okay, we are back, 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 back again. <laughs> we are. We're again, back. again. I'm so ready for this. Okay, yes. Did we make our announcement? No, we, we didn't. Okay, we, we made an announcement as but part of the Rainbow Star, yes. but not the announcement. Not the big announcement All for right. this 
episode. For this episode. This is a special episode because if we've done the timeline correctly, Mm -hmm. uh, if we've looked at the calendar correctly (laughs) and been responsible adult people, which we both seemingly struggle with a little bit. (laughs) 50% of the time. 50% of the time. You listeners should be hearing this episode during the week of Halloween. Yes. All right. So happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be what, like a couple days before. So yeah. yeah. Can't wait to celebrate kind of. Happy spooky season. Yeah. Happy Halloween. I hope you have good Zoom parties. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or maybe small conservative gatherings, socially distanced with people who aren't symptomatic of anything. Exactly. At home. Exactly. Yeah. Which is also an option. So since it is Halloween and we're doing something a little bit special or wanted to do something a little bit special for that, we have decided to suspend the Slay Queen's rules. Suspend the rules. I love you, RuPaul. <laughs> that's, that's my RuPaul reference. Yeah. We're suspending the rules for the week. We traditionally bring you stories of the LGBTQIA plus true crime variety. And we have decided this week that we want to continue to bring you true crime stories but not necessarily those that have that kind of queer factor. Considering we love Halloween, you know, it's freaking bats. I love Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're just doing this for ourselves, really. And October being my birthday month, it's, you know, the month. So yeah. we're just like, you know what? We're going to do something that's near and dear to the hearts. And honestly, I feel like it's one of those things that when people hear a small little mention of something, they're like, yep, I know why they did this. For sure. And it is a nod to some things that were discussed during the question and answer episode. Exactly. So it's out there. If you've heard it, then you know why we're doing this. So you fan folks will understand as soon as we dive into the story, (laughs) you will understand. And uh, we should do that now. Yeah. Yes. All right. Here we go. I'm going to start because I think Ashley went first last week. Yes. So here we go. Citing my sources, first and foremost, I got some information from biography.com, also allthingsinteresting.com, which is one of my absolute favorite websites to use to research these cases. Also read an article by the Florida Times Union, and I got a few, like, just little tidbits and facts from a website called mentalfloss.com. And since I haven't mentioned it yet, this might be a spoiler for like the true, like hardcore uh, fans, but we will be talking about today, Danny Rowling, who is also known as the Gainesville Ripper. Do you know? Do you know? Because <laughs> if you don't, you're about to. No, you're about to find yeah. out. Yeah, you're about to find out. So let's Let's dive into this. In 1994, a struggling actor and screenwriter by the name of Kevin Williamson became engrossed in the story of a drifter who had terrorized the town of Gainesville, Florida by murdering five college students over the span of three days back in August of 1990. Spooked, but also inspired. Williamson hammered out a screenplay for what would become the successful 1996 fright flick. Do we have any inklings yet about what this might be uh fright flick that was celebrated for its knowing winks at horror film tropes and also for breathing new life into the genre a movie that received multiple nominations and awards for best original writing best direction and best acting by a female lead a film that would gross approximately 173 million dollars at the box offices and inspire an entire generation of 90s kids to ask each other the question, what's your favorite scary movie? (laughs) (laughs) You like how I did that? That was good. Uh, Ashley, would you you care to take a guess? Scream. It's a scream, baby. (laughs) Scream. Oh, you're going to love it. It's a scream, baby. (laughs) 
I'm glad that you got that reference as well. You are correct. But while the movie Scream provides plenty of slashing and scares, in the end, its story of Sidney Prescott and the ghost face killer bears only a passing resemblance to that of Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper. Danny. Well, wait, was Nev Campbell's role the one that got that nomination? Okay, so they weren't big nominations like Oscars sure. or things like no, that. It was more curious. it was more the awards that are held specifically for like horror movie genres. And that's fine. I just But yeah, it was Nev Campbell specifically. I didn't know. And I didn't honestly think her acting was the greatest. <laughs> I love Nev Campbell. I love her so too. Much. I don't want to take I'm such a stand. I love her, but I don't think it's the best acting. I thought she was such a bad bitch in that though. She was a bad bitch. Yeah. I will definitely like I love her entire role throughout that entire it's not trilogy. What do you call a four? Before, what do you call that? Well, it's almost five. But yeah, originally, yeah. I think it was intended to be a trilogy. But yeah, like that's. I love that role. Yeah. I love her. What is it? Sydney Prescott. Quadrility at this that's point. That's what I'm wondering. Quadrility. Like, a quadruple. I don't know. Whatever. Listeners, <laughs> listeners, if you know, please at us is, and let is us. Is there know. a word for that? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's just a series at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Somebody out there knows. So please let us know. Yeah. All right. So Danny, a tortured soul whose life of violence, abuse, and despair he passed on to his victims would present a difficult task for any screenwriter to truly depict. So, in very me fashion, (laughs) I have set this up so that we are presented with some information about a person, and now we want to know who the fuck that person is. All right, so who was Danny Rowling? Daniel Harold Rowling was born on May 26th of 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana, to parents Claudia and James. James Rowling, a police officer by trade, had also been a decorated Korean War veteran who is suspected to have suffered from a combination of post-traumatic stress disorder and also inherent mental illness. Described by those who knew him as, quote, temperamental, controlling, and violent, James reportedly never wanted children and often heaped both verbal and physical abuse on his wife, as well as Danny and his younger son, a boy by the name of Kevin. Danny was merely one year old when his father abused him for the first time, allegedly beating the boy because he wasn't crawling properly. Oh, my. Isn't that terrible? Oh. And, of course, I would imagine this is something that had to have been reported by, like, family members of course, or the mother. Yeah. Because at one year old, I would hope that you don't remember. Exactly. And no, someone had to have like seen that. that. Yeah, yeah, someone had to have seen it and reported it later. Claudia Rowling reportedly tried to escape the toxic marriage with her children, but time and time again, she returned. By the time Danny Rowling turned eight years old, his mother suffered a nervous breakdown and school counselors were describing him as a child suffering from, quote, an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control, end quote. Well, that's not surprising. No, absolutely not. I mean, this is... I'm not an expert on child development or behavioral health, but I imagine this is kind of a natural Mm -hmm. path. I feel like if that's what I, if I saw a child of that age acting that way, that's probably the first thought that I would have. Yeah. You're being abused in some way. Yeah. Yeah, what's, What's going on at home? That was by the age of eight. By the age of 11, Danny picks up music to cope with his father's abusive behavior. He played guitar and sang hymn like songs and put a pin in that because it's going to come back later. Much later, but it's going to come back later. (laughs) It was about this same time that his mother was committed to a behavioral hospital after she had attempted suicide by slitting her wrists. Danny himself then picked up drugs and alcohol as a way to cope, which only worsened his already fragile mental state. I'm sure. He also recalled these years as the time when he developed multiple personalities as a defense mechanism 
from the nightmarish reality around him when his own attempts at suicide were failing to bring him any sort of escape. So he was also suicidal at as early as the age 11. Yeah, I was going to say before he was even a teenager, right? Exactly. All right. So my next section of notes, because I think this is tugging at our heartstrings a little bit. Yeah. I, I'm very empathetic and sympathetic to him at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We maybe Can we'll you pull st- it back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We maybe will start to lose uh, a bit of that in this section that I have titled Not a Kid Anymore. Mm, there we go. All right, there yeah, we go. There we go. All right. I don't want to spend too much time on this part of the story, but I do want to show that there was some evolution or de-evolution, however you choose to look at it, between Danny Rowling being an innocent abused child and his becoming the Gainesville Ripper. Uh, So for time's sake, I'm just going to run through a few of these details as quickly as I can. But again, I want there to be full evolution and I want to tell this story. We want to see this guy devolve. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) To get away from his father, Danny enlisted in the Air Force as a teenager, but was kicked out by 1972 for drug use and drug possession. He married a woman by the name of O'Mather Halco. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. It's, It's an interesting one. It's one I've never seen before. And the two had a daughter together, but were divorced by 1977 when Danny began exacting the same sort of abuse on her that had been prevalent in his own childhood home. History repeats itself. History repeats itself, especially if you don't seek out the appropriate, like, medical care and treatment and whatnot. Yeah. All right. Post-divorce, he turned his devastation into anger when he raped a woman who closely resembled his ex-wife. In the 1980s, really... Didn't bring anything better for Danny. Danny, (laughs) he was in and out of jail that whole time in the states of Alabama and Mississippi, mostly for charges of armed robbery. Uh, His time between incarcerations were spent traveling the country, stealing and occasionally forcing himself on women. I like how it's just like written like, and occasionally forcing himself on women, you know. Back in Shreveport in November of 1989, Danny broke into a local home to murder 24-year-old Julie Grisham, her 8-year-old nephew Sean, and her 55-year-old father Tom. Echoing his later killings, Julie was found with bite marks on her body and arranged with her legs spread on the bed in a very provocative manner. Louisiana authorities named him as the only suspect in that case because Danny's blood matched the killer's blood type. Again, blood type because they, I guess, weren't DNA testing at the time. Uh He knew information about the triple slang that only the attacker could have had access to. According to a Shreveport investigator... An arrest warrant in that case had been prepared, but it was actually never served. And Danny was not prosecuted for those slangs because the police didn't feel as though they had a strong enough case against him at the time. The following year, in May of 1990, Danny got into one final argument with his father. This time, he pulled out a gun and shot James Rowling in both the stomach and the head. And good for you, man. I was going to say, it's like you can't really even be mad at him for that. Like, that's part of the story where, like, there was a movie about his life, which I'm sure there is somewhere. You would be cheering for him at that point. Absolutely, you, know? you would be. Because in my in my research, I kind of cheered for him. I was yeah. like, good for you. Well, I mean, you did that. Say was that was a long time coming. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to kill someone, at least make it him. Yeah. His father survived that attack, but lost the use of Jeez. one eye and one ear. And I even put my notes here, which is horrible, but I mean... It's what you thought. Transparency. <laughs> it's what I thought at the time. I was like, 
Which, if you ask me, is pretty unfortunate. Yeah, it is. Um, because he... At least he got mauled a little bit. He got mauled, but he was obviously a terrible man. Yeah, he's just he going to be even more man. terrible after this. Like, and, he's going to be more angry. He's going to be more pissed off. Well, and it brings up the question of nature versus nurture. Would Danny Rowling have turned into the Gainesville Ripper had it not been for Absolutely. his father and his father's abuse? Because we see it time and time again. We do. Authorities could not charge Danny with this crime either because he had actually fled Louisiana after the attack on his father. He knew what to do. Yeah. Eventually arriving in Gainesville, Florida in late July of 1990. Once there, he changed his identity with uh, stolen paperwork. Actually, paperwork that he stole from a home that he had robbed. Started a new life. Changed his identity and started a new life as Michael Kennedy Jr. All right, so now that we don't necessarily have the most sympathetic, warm, fuzzy feelings uh, about Danny Rowling, let's talk about how he became the Gainesville Ripper. In August of 1990, Danny Rowling set up a campsite in a wooded area behind the University of Florida Gainesville campus. This location gave him opportunity to stalk incoming students for the fall semester. In the early morning hours of Friday, August 24th, Danny broke into an apartment shared by freshman students Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. First entering, he found Christina asleep on the downstairs couch. He stood over her briefly but did not wake wake her at that time, choosing instead to explore the upstairs bedroom where he found Sonia was also asleep. He murdered Sonia, first taping her mouth shut to stifle any screams and then stabbing her to death. I did read in one account that he actually raped Sonia's body after she had died, but I couldn't substantiate that with more with more than one source. Sure. Danny then went back downstairs, woke Christina, taped her mouth shut, bound her wrists together behind her, and threatened her with a knife as he cut off her clothing. He then raped the woman and forced her down onto the floor where he stabbed her five times in the back. Danny posed both of the bodies in sexually provocative positions, one on the couch and one in the bed, before taking a shower, taking a shower at their apartment, Mm -hmm. which just sounds pretty ballsy to me, Mm -hmm. and leaving the apartment. A day later, just one day later, on Saturday, August 25th, he broke into the apartment of freshman Krista Hoyt, prying open the sliding glass door with a knife and screwdriver. Finding that she was not home, Danny waited in the living room for her to return. At 11 a.m., Krista entered the apartment, and he surprised her from behind, taped her mouth shut, bound her wrists together, and led her into the bedroom where he cut off her clothing and raped the girl. Danny then, once again, forced her face down onto the floor, stabbed her in the back, rupturing her heart, and she died immediately. Mm. He then decapitated the body and posed Krista's head on a shelf facing the rest of her corpse, which... What is that about? I, I just, I had a moment where there was a certain familiarity uh-huh. with that. Is that something that, that happened I was, to one of the characters so in the I was, movie? That's funny. That's so funny. So what I was going to say before I didn't want to cut you off was I was thinking, it's not exactly, but it's like um, the first scene with Drew Barrymore. Casey is her character mm-hmm. where he hangs her from the tree and like guts her like a fish. Yeah. It's kind of like it's presented almost yeah. in a way. So like her mom comes out yeah. when she shows up at home and sees it. So maybe that's a bit of a nod to that. Yeah. Yeah. In his own way. Cause yeah. it's not like, obviously he didn't take exactly what this guy did. He made his own story, but it's, I mean, he stabs her in the heart. He's chasing her from behind. And then that's how he kind of exposes yeah, right. her in that way. You're right. Plus, he stab her in the back, too, I think. He might stab her in the back and then again. Like, I don't even know, but still. Yeah. I guess we'll have to rewatch it for yeah. the hundredth time. I freaking... And I know... I think Sierra gets mad at me when we watch that movie because I can't help but, like, say the 
sometimes. I do the same thing. Uh, yeah, he obviously. Surprise, Sydney. <laughs> Sounds like he uh, took a lot of direction. Yeah, uh, sure. From and that's, that's, this actual case. And when you were saying that, I was like, I feel like that's the closest comparison that there is. Yeah. So then on Monday, August 27th, Danny broke into the apartment of 23 year old Tracy Pauls and her 23 year old male roommate, Manny Tabado. Uh, Taboda? Taboda. Taboda. Manny Taboda. But we're just going to call him Manny. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, by once again prying open the sliding glass door with the same tools that he had actually used uh, in the previous killing. Danny first found Manny asleep in his bed. A struggle between the two men ensued, but the man was ultimately stabbed to death. So unfortunately, Danny f- or Manny fought for his life, but he wasn't able to fight off Danny and he died of stab wounds. Hearing the commotion, Tracy went down the hall to Manny's room where she encountered Danny. Tracy ran and attempted to barricade herself inside her bedroom, but he broke through the door. Danny taped her wrists, he cut off her clothing, and he raped her before once again turning her over, making her lie face down on the floor and stabbing her three times in the back. He posed Stacy's body provocatively in the bed, but he left Manny in the same position in which he had died. Yeah, what is this thing about the women, though? I'm not really sure. They're... Is, do you think he's, like, mad at his mom for, like, marrying the guy that she married and creating him? Or, like, is he, like, stopping women from making the same mistake? Or, like, what? He's obviously very angry at these women for some reason. The rape and the posing of their bodies in a provocative way makes me wonder as just a self-diagnosed slay queen and yeah. like crime sleuth makes me wonder if he experienced a lot of rejection from women oh, could at be. some point in his he life. he was always so hot-headed. And he was always whatever. so hot-headed and he also had an extremely difficult upbringing, which I'm sure made him very socially awkward. Well, to so. me, it's like when you do the comparison for like a the character of Billy, it's like he has a motive with the fact that he hates slutty women because of, you know, what happened with his dad and Sydney's mom. So I feel like maybe that the writer of the movie was like, okay, why was this guy this way? It Mm -hmm. must be because he's mad at his mom in some way or something. Yeah. No, that's a mom. That's a really good observation. And, uh, Maybe we'll have the opportunity to ask yeah. him someday. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'd hope. That'd fingers, be awesome. Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, so what happened? After committing five murders in Gainesville, Danny skipped town fleeing to Ocala, Florida, which I recognized from the Eileen Warnos episode that we mm-hmm, did, mm-hmm. Yeah, where in September of that same year, so this is literally, couldn't have been more than a month later, mm-hmm. so weeks to a month-ish later, in September of that same year, he was arrested for robbing a Win dixie grocery store at gunpoint. Meanwhile, yeah. Why do they always do that? Why do they always do that, too, after, like, they've killed people? Like, I... Anyways. <laughs> do you want to be caught? I mean, clearly, he... Yeah, we can speculate that about, uh, about that all day long. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back in Gainesville, a task force had been assembled to investigate the crimes of the appropriately named Gainesville River. Initially, their prime suspect was a UF student who briefly lived in the same apartment complex as the victims and exhibited erratic behavior at one point getting arrested for violence towards uh, family members. And I read somewhere that it was actually his grandmother, which made it even more sad. It was soon revealed that this student was battling acute manic depression. However, there was zero evidence connecting him to the murders. It wasn't until June of 1992 that DNA evidence at the Gainesville crime scenes. Yes, ma'am. 
no, no, no. I just had a moment there because I was like, because DNA evidence wasn't a thing yet. And I was like waiting for you to bring it yeah. up because I knew it would come up eventually. Yeah, this had to be DNA in its infancy. Yeah. I, I would imagine because this is 1992. Exactly. But yeah, apparently they at least were, um, maybe DNA wasn't as common a thing at the time, but they at least were forthcoming enough. It was probably more smart enough to run tests and know if that was actually true, maybe, at that maybe. time? Well, at, at the very least, they yeah. preserved it until such time as it could sure. be tested, which sure. I always find... I just feel like that's good police work. Oh, I love when I see that in forensic yeah. files and things like that. It happens constantly. I'm like, yes, good for you. I love a good freezer. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, DNA evidence that was left at the crime scenes was linked to a man who was already incarcerated in the state of Florida. And spoiler, we, of course, already know that that man was none other than Daniel Harold Rowling. And he would be officially charged with the murders of the five students. Danny initially entered a plea of not guilty, but in February of 1994, just before the start of his trial, he abruptly changed his plea to guilty by reason of insanity. To determine the sentence, jurors listened to testimony from his mother, who recounted the abuse the defendant had received at the hands of his father, and from a psychiatrist who described that Danny had an alternate personality named Gemini, who reportedly drove him to commit these sadistic crimes. Wow, that's really weird because the Geminis are like double personalities. Yeah. So it's funny that that would be the, the word of choice. It's pretty well thought choice. out. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty pointed. Yeah. Two other psychiatrists also testified that a severe personality disorder was in play, but stated their belief was that Danny understood the magnitude of his crimes at the time that he committed them. The jury unanimously found him guilty of first degree murder on all five counts in late March. And one month later, he was sentenced to death. All of his appeals were exhausted, and at a Florida State prison on October 25th of 2006, Danny Rowling faced execution. In his final moments, he sang two minutes of a religious hymn. Remember, I told you that was going to come back. Uh-huh. He sang two full minutes of a religious hymn to the crowd of 47 people who had gathered to witness his execution. And this hymn stated uh, lyrics like, quote, He who flung the stars into the heavens above created the oceans, mountains, eagles, and doves. None greater than thee, O Lord, none greater than thee, end quote. And that's how he left this world. Uh, it's so weird. <laughs> it's kind of so, creepy, and right? And it's like ominous, yeah. Yeah. There's like a scene in um in Dexter, I think in the first season, you know, when they arrest the guy who's pretending to be the ice truck killer. And when they go to into arrest him, he puts his hand behind his head and he starts singing mm-hmm. some like random, I don't even know what the song was, but that's exactly what it makes me think of. Just so like, why would you do that? Just because you want to be remembered and in this ominous way, probably. Probably so. Because it's going to creep people out and it's going to make you feel good because you're like, I don't know, singing a hymn. Well, I even read in one account... <laughs> like, why? I even read in one account that they gave him a full two minutes before they cut his mic. It's not like he was even done. <laughs> they cut his mic because they're like, they're, that's enough. They're like, all right, dude, this is enough. Yeah. We're like, we're done with you. Yeah. So that's how he left this world. Maybe he was going to sing something for like 10 minutes and he just figured that would be his way to just like... <laughs> Prolonging yeah. the inevitable. Maybe so. Yeah. All right. So... That was, yeah, that was good. I didn't yeah. know that last part, though. That was the story that inspired... The movie Scream. Yeah. Now we know. And let's take a quick break. Yeah, let's do that. So you told me the happening before the movie. Okay. I guess I'm going to tell you what had happened after the movie. Ooh. What true crime world. What had? What had happened is the murder of Cassie Jo Stoddart. 
which it was a story that I had heard of before, but you brought it up to me in, in talking about this. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then as I'm reading it, just so much more twisted and like messed up than I really thought. Like It's fucked, right? Yeah, it's so uh, messed up. Yeah. It's just so messed up. And I just don't, I can't wrap my brain around it. I can't because to me, it's a movie. Like it's not real. Like this is yeah. not real. On the night of September 22nd, 2006, Cassie Joe's daughter was house sitting for her aunt and uncle, Allison Frank Contreras, on Whispering Cliffs Drive in Northeast Bannock County. The Contreras family was out of town and had hired Cassie to come take care of their three cats and two dogs for the weekend. Cassie was visited that evening by her boyfriend, Matt Beckham, who arrived around 6 p.m. Later, classmates Brian Draper and Tori Adamchik, who were both 16 years old at the time, came over to the house to hang out. And for some reason, like when I read this scenario in my head, I just thought of like the movie Chicago and she's like, you know, the three of us boozing, having a few laughs. laughs. I don't know why, because it's four of them. But anyways, yeah. Cassie gave the friends a tour of the house, including the basement. The four teens went into the living room to watch Kill Bill Volume 2, but which I'm like, ew, bad. I mean, I love Tarantino, but bad option, whatever. But Tori and Brian ended up leaving before the film ended and saying that they wanted to watch a movie at their local movie theater instead. Cassie and Matt stayed behind. Cassie was unaware that before the two boys left, Brian unlocked the basement door so he and Tori could re-enter the house undetected. Sometime after leaving the house on Whispering Cliffs, Brian and Tori returned to the neighborhood, parked down the street, got out of the car... They quietly and put on costumes consisting of dark clothing, gloves, and white masks. Where have we heard that before? Why does that sound so familiar? Hmm. I wonder what those looked like specifically. <laughs> they quietly entered the house through the basement door while Matt and Cassie were watching TV in the living room. They intentionally made some noises in an attempt to lure Matt and Cassie downstairs so they could scare them, is what they said. Next, they found the circuit right. Yeah. I just Next. laugh because they clearly are thinking, well, this is going to play out exactly the way that it does right? in a movie. Exactly. Right, exactly. We're going to make some noise, and these people are going to be like, gee, what's that? I'm going to go down and investigate. Yep, and then she's going to run upstairs and throw out the front door. It's insulting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next they found the circuit breaker and turned off the power in the house, hoping the pair would come downstairs to check the breaker, which is another, like, yeah. uh, when Matt and Cassie did not come downstairs, the boys turned some of the lights back on. Like, what? Okay, so I guess they were just sitting there like, oh, I guess the power is going to come back on. Because also, too, like, if I'm a teenager, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to know what to do if the power goes off. I'm going to sit and wait for it to come back on. <laughs> I'm going to call age, my mom. Yeah, and like, yeah. at my age now. Yeah, <laughs> but, like, then I'm not surprised. Okay. Cassie became uneasy after the temporary power added outage, and Matt noticed that one of the Contreras dogs kept staring down at the basement stairs, periodically barking or growling. Okay, now that would freak me out, I yeah. think, more than anything else. Because you know when your animals see yeah. something? Like, sometimes Salem Jewel just sit, like, on the basement stairs and just stare into this vent that's in my basement that goes to this, like that's randomly closed off. It's a really creepy area in my basement. I don't want to go back there. You can't get back there. I don't know why you can't get back there. But he just stares in there sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I know why I don't want to go back there. Like, yeah. <laughs> something's going on. So, seeing that Cassie felt scared, Matt called his mother to ask if he could stay the night at the house with her to ease her mind, but she denied his request. Instead, she offered to let Cassie come home with Matt and stay at their house for the night, and she would bring Cassie back to Whispering Cliff's house the next morning. 
However, Cassie felt it was her responsibility to stay at the house she was hired to do and care for the animals and declined Matt's mom's offer, which I know. Isn't that terrible to know yeah at approximately 10 30 p.m matt's mom picked him up leaving cassie at the house alone matt called tori's phone to to see where tori and brian were possibly to meet up with them later matt said he could barely hear tori who was whispering on the phone and matt assumed the boys were in a movie theater makes sense right yeah it's actually like i don't think that they realized how their plan worked out as well as it kind of did uh from the basement brian and tori heard matt leave the teens turned the lights out at the circuit Turn the lights out again at the circuit breaker in the basement and waited, hoping Cassie would come downstairs to turn the lights back on, but she did not. Eventually, the boys went upstairs. Brian was armed with a dagger-type weapon, and Tori had a hunting-style knife, which we've seen before. (laughs) Brian opened and slammed a closet door at the top of the stairs to scare Cassie, who was lying on the couch in the living room. The boys brutally attacked her, stabbing Cassie approximately 30 times. Twelve of the wounds were potentially fatal. So they killed her 12 times, basically. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, she's already horrifically scared, right? Mm-hmm. Like, weird things are happening, weird noises, lights are going on and off. She's she's already discussed the possibility of having somebody stay there with her in yep. order to make her feel safer. And I'm sure she's laying there on the couch, like, trying to calm herself down Horrified. and being like, this, is, this isn't as bad as I think. Like, like we mind, all do. Yeah, my mind's playing tricks on me. Like, mm-hmm. it's this can't be what I... My worst fear can't actually be happening, and, and then it does. Yeah, and then it's happening. Yeah. The murder weapons were purchased at a pawn shop with the help of an 18-year-old Joe Lucero. Throughout the investigation of the murder, police found that Brian and Tori had recorded their plan to murder Cassie in advance on videotape while they were at school. This video footage was shown at their trials. So, yeah, that was actually something that I watched. It's still on YouTube to this day. It's just a video recording. It has, like, the date and the time and everything. You know, it's not like a cell phone Mm -hmm. type deal like it is now. And these two, it's kind of hard to watch. Like, I was watching it, and Sierra even had her um, headphones in doing homework, and she overheard part of it, and she was like, what are you watching? But it's, like, really teenage boys who were literally just like, oh, my God, like, I just killed Cassie. Like, I just saw her lifeless body. Like, I saw, I did that. And it was just, like, it's crazy. I don't know. So, trigger warning for sure, but yeah, there, it's I've, out there. I've seen it a few different times, actually, because yeah. it is really, really readily available to yes. anybody who wants wants to do a quick internet search mm-hmm. and they're literally like boasting and talking about this really excitedly like they just left this badass concert yeah. or they just like stepped off of this amazing roller coaster mm-hmm. or something it's that's exactly what it's like and to me the craziest thing is that it's two of them and then it kind of ends with one of them I don't remember which one you know it doesn't matter in my mind which one's which he says some he like, he like tells them he's like oh my god oh oh that was like a movie and the other one's like okay sh- we like we gotta get our shit together basically like we got to figure this out and I'm like oh my god uh, like this is totally conscience at least reality was setting in for one of them yeah right 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 right. okay so we're going to the arrest and interrogation so now they kind of switched it like in my research to like not talking about their first names to like their last names so we're gonna go there because now we're like we know how terrible they are they don't get first names anymore (laughs) <laughs> Draper and Adamchik were arrested on September 27th, 2006 and charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. During their interrogations, each team blamed the other. Shocking, right? Of course they did. Did you really call the police? <laughs> My mom and dad are going to be so <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> 
Draper claimed he was in the same room with Adamczyk when Cassie was killed, but denied stabbing her. He later admitted stabbing her allegedly under commands from Adamczyk. He led the investigators to Black Rock Canyon, where the youths had disposed of clothing, masks, and knives that they used for the murder. So their ghost face costumes were in a canyon somewhere, I guess. So then there comes, you know, the appeals. The attorneys, so their attorneys both separately filed appeals at the state Supreme Court in September 2010 and in for Adamczyk and then in April 2011 for Draper. Draper was seeking to have his conviction vacated or to be given a limited life sentence that would allow for his release on parole if approved after 30 years. The first appeal, appeal for both Adamczyk and Draper was denied in a 3-2 decision. The high court vacated Draper's conviction on conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, saying that jurors were given erroneous instructions on the charge, but they affirmed his conviction for first-degree murder and life sentence without parole. So I think it was like, I don't know, they just felt like they were given so much evidence that they're like, some of it, this is just like misguiding you. Like, if not all of it matters. You're just mad at these teenagers. However, we will convict you at least for the murders, which is stupid to me, but whatever. In July 2015, Adamczyk gained a hearing for post-conviction relief with State 6th District Magistrate Judge Mitchell W. Brown. He claimed that testimony from character witnesses could have changed the outcome of the sentencing, but that his former attorney against Adamczyk's parents' wishes chose not to call these witnesses. So he was like, yeah, people will tell you I'm a good guy. And he was like, nah, we're not going to do that because your mom said no. And so he brought it up again and was like, okay, well, can I have some character witnesses now? Whatever. Adamczyk said that his attorney believed that the prosecution would have submitted even more damaging evidence. In March 2016, Judge Brown denied his request for post-conviction relief. Adamczyk appealed Judge Brown's decision to the Idaho Supreme Court. A hearing was held on November 9th, 2017, and on December 26th, so about a month and a half later, the Idaho Supreme Court rejected his appeal for post-conviction, upholding district court decision. So all of this, basically, there's another like law that they bring up. So after the Idaho Supreme Court's decision, they filed habeas corpus mm-hmm. in 2018, in January, which he argues that the Idaho Supreme Court denied his first appeal based on a theory that was not presented to the jury. Adamczyk also argues that he should be entitled to a new sentencing hearing in light of the Miller and Montgomery decisions, which was uh, 2012, the United States Supreme Court ruled that mandatory sentences of life without the possibility, possibility of parole are unconstitutional for juvenile offenders, even in cases of murder, ruling that the youth of the, con- of the convict had to be considered. So basically, this was a law from forever ago that he was like, hey, let's bring this up instead because I was a juvenile, so I shouldn't be getting this. Yeah. We've talked about that in previous cases as Uh well. She denied that. Basically, they've been denied over and over again. They've got all these great reasons for why they should come out, you know, quote, great reasons, but Mm -hmm. they never have been able to overturn it. I think the biggest thing in this case is just that video. It's just that's you can't deny that. Like, I mean, you could just say, oh, they were just dicking around, but... (laughs) That's the thing, is that it wasn't just the video, from what I understand, uh, it wasn't just the video of them afterwards blatantly saying, I just did that. 
I killed all Cassie. All the things that they recorded before Exactly. They did it. it was all the like plotting and planning and premeditation mm-hmm. beforehand. Which is annoying that they didn't get a charge for that. It was just yeah. because it's like, it was insanely premeditated. There's literally video footage, written footage. Like, what do you want more? So they were going to be convicted. Yeah. Just the, uh, the sentencing, I think, was the thing that was going to be the most questionable or the mm-hmm. most questioned. And I was at least suspicious of the fact when I first learned about this case that they wouldn't get a death sentence because they were juveniles and they likely wouldn't get a life in prison sentence. And if they did, it wouldn't be upheld because of the laws like we've discussed. And I really only included all of that extra like BS about all of the appeals and stuff, because I do think it's interesting when they are constantly trying to appeal something, especially because of how premeditated it was. It wasn't like they have a leg to stand on with an accident or self-defense or I didn't mean to, I just meant to beat them up, whatever, whatever. And I also thought it was interesting, like 2012, that's when that decision happened that like you can't put juveniles. And I'm wondering like why that was, like how that became a thing, like what case happened that year, you know what I mean? That like made that such a prevalent thing that they felt like they had to make a law against that. I have done some research into it for another case, and I can't remember that yeah. specific information off the top of my head, but it's definitely something that we can look into again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just remember them saying that it was un- unconstitutional for these crimes that people committed when they were too young to fully understand their actions the and the real repercussions for those actions. Yeah, I guess. So... Well, even in the video that I saw, they're, like, saying, well, we know that killing is bad, but, like, we don't understand why. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's because your brain's not developed yet. <laughs> I mean, teenagers are not. So, yeah, wild story. Another thing that I thought was just complete bullshit huh. with regard to uh, one of the appeals was, and I can't remember the names of who was who, but kind of uh, the way that you had described is the in the after murder video, there was one that was uh, kind of freaking out. It was like, we need to get our shit together. Yep. We need to figure out what we're going to do. And then the, the, there was the other one that was real high on it. That was like, I just killed Cassie. I just fucking killed and Cassie. And he literally sounded like he was, it was like orgasmic. And exactly. yeah, yeah. like, I felt uncomfortable because I knew he was a teenager and mm-hmm. like, it sounded that way. And I'm it like, okay. sounded sexual. Yeah. I don't way. know if you're watching this. So I know that there was an appeal later, the kid that was just very like boastful and emphatic about it. Later, he said that he was coerced and made to do the crime or perpetuate the crime and that he wasn't... um, The ringleader. Yeah, he wasn't the ringleader and that he was essentially forced to by the other kid. And part of that being complete bullshit is they go we literally have you yeah. on video screaming orgasmically yeah. I killed Cassie yeah. so no you you weren't being coerced right you weren't brainwashed you weren't forced to do something you literally said you just watched her life come out of her body yeah like <laughs> yeah that was the biggest I think crock of shit portion what, of the appeals process yeah and what lawyer would be, think that they could argue that like what no well and my understanding is is to this very day he still maintains that, that he didn't do anything wrong. He was placed in a situation where his friend had a power over him or his friend threatened him and he carried out actions that he felt forced to do. Whereas the other kid has, who's not a kid anymore, but has, has come forward and admitted his wrongdoing and said, I was wrong. I took a life. I'm sorry. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's that kid that if there's any hope, any hope in like, Mm -hmm 
rehabilitation. 50, yeah, in like rehabilitation, if like 50, 60, 70, 80 years from now, if he has the opportunity to be paroled out of jail, it's that kid yeah. that I think has a real opportunity for some sort of rehabilitation because he's taken ownership yeah. of his mistakes and his actions, whereas this other kid should never see the light of day. Well, and that, absolutely. No, I agree. And absolutely with just regard to how they responded again, you know, he obviously seemed like if he made the conscious decision that like, okay, it's psychopath versus sociopath. Like one of them obviously doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. The other one knows what the fuck just happened, Mm -hmm. but he knows he did it. So it is what it is. Yeah. And that's a theme that apparently is is still part of who they are to this very day. Yeah. Right. Right. Deny, deny, deny. All right. Well, that was a good time. Yeah. So that was fun. Those were the stories. It won't happen too often where we just do like a one-off, but I felt like that was, we both felt like it was just so relevant to what we've been talking about and so near and dear to our hearts. And I'm sure plenty of you are Scream fanatics. I mean, I've heard a couple people have reached out. And I mean, it's impacted just society Mm -hmm. in so many ways. And it's, it's literally what we've illustrated is that there's a story that inspired the movie and there's a story that was inspired by the movie. So oh, it's literally okay, art imitating to, I, life, imitating art. I mean, I totally, and you're so right. And yeah. I totally forgot to even add in that that was like what they said their motive was. One of them said Scream was the reason. And the other one, what was the movie? Do you remember? It was another movie he mentioned too. Oh, I can't remember though what it was. Oh no, it wasn't a movie. It was Columbine. Oh yeah, that's right. They one said of that them they literally were said that they were inspired by Columbine, by Columbine which was interesting to me because I don't feel like their victim was necessarily the Columbine victims because the Columbine victims were like the jocks and the ones that were mean to the them and they always had these like bully excuses but like this girl didn't seem like and she was their friend yeah like that's the thing it wasn't like she was their friend with them yeah, yeah. the they knew each other the boyfriend who was involved that evening with like being at the house and left and you know sure. before before the murder occurred He's he wasn't he wasn't involved in the murder at all. Yeah. yeah. He's good friends with the two perpetrators. Right, which is why he had called them, like, hey, you guys want to hang out later? Like, yeah. I left her house. Like, what are y'all up to? And they knew Cassie because obviously she was the girlfriend to their good friend. Mm-hmm. So I mean, just so many layers about this story. Completely fucked up. Isn't it? Yeah, completely fucked up. And it's te- up. like teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, yeah. But, but yeah, I think that brings us to the end. I think we did a, a segue. Yeah. Happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, happy Halloween. Happy spooky season. We hope that you enjoyed that screaming good time. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> but we thank you all for uh, joining us again. Again. Here at the Slay Queens podcast. We're back if, to business as usual next week. Back to business as usual next week. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. If you have any story suggestions, yes. questions, comments, or concerns, please let us know. But especially the story suggestions. Yeah. Because... Our lists have gotten shorter. Yeah, our so. lists have gotten shorter. We love those. And uh, we're working oh, yeah. on a couple of things, but we want to continue yeah. to work more, on those more, things. More, more, more. more. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to reach out to us uh, with those questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, et cetera, et cetera, or if you just want to reach out with your love and praises and affections and well wishes, you can reach us in multiple places, Ashley. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, Slay Queens Pod. Mm-hmm. And the Patreon. And the Patreon. And we the have Patreon. Patreon. Yes, yes. It's yes. all Slay Queens Pod. We've made it really easy for you to find us. Yes. 
just a quick search on any of those platforms, Slate Queens Pod. And we would thank you again. And we thank you. So much. So much. (laughs) And we would ask you to have a happy, healthy, safe Halloween. Yes. Eat lots of candy, but like brush your teeth. For sure. And and floss. It it really (laughs) does make a big difference. It does. Also, there's one very important thing that they should do. Go out and slay queens. Just. Just. What? Not each other? Just not each other. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going away, but I won't come back on a lonesome railroad line. But I can't forget that sweet little girl who sleeps in the pines and the pines.